Greetings, all United Percenters. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Divisions. Okay, uh, today I want to comment, fact check, on uh, President Biden's State of the Union speech here this past week. You know, I remember State of the Union speeches going back decades, and I remember they used to get up there and talk about specific programs and how much uh, they're going to commit to those programs. In other words, it was it was very uh, instrumental kind of a speech where they laid out what they were going to do. Uh, but over the years, and especially now, you know, these are fluff, marketing fluff kind of speeches uh, earmarked with uh, you know, references to individuals, you know, the personal touch here up in the mezzanine and, you know, uh, big tearjerker things. Uh, and, you know, and, and people jumping up and down every eight seconds, wearing out their butts clapping. Uh, it, it's a joke. It's a political marketing event. Uh, but I want to comment on... Uh, some of the claims that Biden made here and, uh, you know, what's some of the truth behind some of the things he said, uh, it's quite different. Uh, you know, the first, first thing that the, the whole speech to- starts off with him fawning, uh, <laughs> McCarthy and McConnell, you know, giving them kudos and everything. Well, you know, maybe he just preparing to negotiate with them, puff them up a little bit, you know. Uh, but these guys uh, have done everything to screw the working and middle classes of this country here uh, for quite some time and to, uh, you know, give them, uh, you know, a hand kind of immediately put me off. But anyway, um, you know, that might be political tactics anyway. Uh, but then, you know, he comes up with this theme, uh, oh, America the Great, the COVID crisis is over. Yeah, well, 1.1 1, 1. 1 at least million dead, probably more than that because they stopped collecting uh, data here. Um, forecast of still 150,000 a year are going to die from COVID because it's lingering. You know, it's going to stay here uh, like the flu. It's not going away. But, you know, not a word about uh, 100,000 deaths every year because of drugs, 70,000 from fentanyl. What's he going to do? It's 70,000 Americans dying from fentanyl every year. 70,000. You know, we get all upset with 2,500 here in New York, uh, uh, you know, being killed in in 9-11. But, you know... (laughs) Foreign stuff coming into the country, killing 70,000 people a year, 100,000 drug deaths of all kinds a year. And not a word about that. Uh, not a word about 46,000 suicides occurring. Oh, he talks about the military suicides. But, you know, what about the rest of the people? 46,000 suicides in the United States, 43,000 gun deaths. With mass shootings almost every day going on, not reported, of course, every day in this country, you know, nothing to say about, oh, but America's great, you know, despite all of this death and destruction. And uh, what is he going to do about that? Eh, Not much, because he knows the gun lobby won't let him do a thing. Um, Anyway, you know, that's how the speech starts out, and, you know, immediately... uh, Put me on guard. And then he jumps into talking about 12 million jobs created. 12 million jobs created. Really? Hmm. Look, those weren't created jobs. Those were people returning to work after the economy reopened. Twice it reopened. You know, first time it didn't didn't really reopen and we relapsed back with, uh, you know, with, with COVID hitting that winter of 2021, 22. uh, And then it reopened again in the spring, summer of last year. Well, these are people going back to work, reopening those the jobs that were there. They aren't created new jobs. Look in 2020, at least 30 million people were unemployed. 
30 million at one time or another. Maybe not for the whole year, but 30 million people went through unemployment in that year of shutdown. Out of 160 million people in the labor force, 30 million. I mean, that, that was massive. Uh, and then, as I said, if you look at uh, what happened, uh, the CARES Act, which was passed in uh, March, April of 2020, when the shutdowns immediately occurred, right? CARES Act uh, was not a recovery stimulus bill. It was a mitigation bill. And that was to put a floor under the collapse a little bit. It was supposed to be followed by a real stimulus bill called the HEROES Act, but that was shot down. It never really got passed, and Trump took over and passed his phony uh, measures there uh, in the fall of uh, 20. Um, and then, uh, you know, the economy got worse. Uh, and then we had uh, a Biden come in, and Biden passed uh, uh well, even before Biden came in, they had to, the fourth quarter of 20, things got bad again in the economy, and they had to pass uh, uh, an emergency supplemental to the CARES Act. That was called the Consolidation Act, uh, where they extended unemployment insurance and gave a few more checks. Uh, and then the COVID relief bill came in in March of 2021, uh, Biden's bill. That was Biden's bill, and that was another mitigation bill to buy time. And then, you know, we finally got the vaccines and they reopened the economy starting in the late spring, summer of, uh, of, uh, of 21. Okay. Uh, and uh, by the end of the summer, we were getting, getting this supply side, supply chain, broken inflation. Remember that? Yeah. Starting in August, September, big surge in inflation that cut everybody's real, real wages significantly. Uh, and then, uh, you know, by the time 2022 came, uh, all of that legislation, that mitigation, that putting a floor under the collapse, you know, the extended unemployment benefits to 10 million people who didn't get it before, um, and then uh, the checks, and uh, then the uh, rent assistance, you know, little token rent assistance there, and then, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, family uh, child care and a few other things, right? Uh, that all came to an end when we got to 2022 because uh, uh, now it was war spending. Actually, the war spending began, you know, late 2021, even in, be before uh, the Russian invasion, as did the sanctions, by the way. Uh, and uh, then in 2022, what did we get? Uh, well, the COVID spending was gone pretty much, and uh, pulled. Even the uh, child care was only good for six months. Uh, they, they all expired. You know, they make these short-term things, so they expire. It's harder to replace something that's expired than to uh, uh, put it in place on a permanent basis. And then in 2022, what did we get? We got a big surge in more spending, $120 billion about, aid going to Ukraine. And by the way, the aid doesn't really go to Ukraine. Some of it goes over there, but a lot of it just goes from the U.S. Treasury right to the uh, uh, bottom lines of U.S. war producing companies, you know, Boeing and Raytheon and Lockheed and so forth. <coughs> so, um, you know, that was a big uh, uh, windfall for the U.S. defense companies. Uh, and in 2022, we're spending all this money now uh, on defense, so we uh, got to uh, cut off all the relief social programs. Uh, and then in 2022, what did uh, Biden do? Uh, well, he shifted spending from uh, supporting uh, households uh, to subsidies for uh, corporations. Three big bills, right? Infrastructure bill, in other words, money going to construction companies and so forth. And then uh, we got the uh, uh, Science and Chip Act. We'll talk about that some more. And then we got, thirdly, this misnamed Inflation Reduction Act. Over a trillion dollars of business investment subsidies from the government uh, as we cut a trillion dollars out of the COVID relief. And they just shifted money to defense and business subsidies in 2022. That's what 2022 is about, as well as war spending increase. Uh, yeah, so um, 
12 million jobs created. Well, those three acts that were passed, business subsidy acts, haven't really hit the economy yet in terms of any kind of job creation. Uh, that's still to come. So you can't say that those three acts really created jobs. They didn't. And creating a jobs, these weren't new jobs created in the two years, 21-22 under Biden. These were reopening of the economy that he can't take credit for. You know, the thing that reopened the economy was the vaccines. Uh, you know, so first of all, fact check that. There aren't 12 million jobs created by Biden, right? Uh, but the economy finally did reopen here uh, by 2022. Okay. Uh, now, if you look at the job numbers, you know, we had this big number of 517,000 jobs created. And I talked about this last week, uh, last month, 517,000 jobs, right? Um, these aren't full-time jobs. Most of this is part-time job creation. If you look at the, the long term, uh, yes, businesses are laying off people, full-time workers. They're laying them off. And, of course, uh, uh, now we got these big layoffs occurring in the tech industry. You know, they're all laying off. Uh, housing, uh, of course, is down in terms of employment. And uh, I believe it's going to spill over to manufacturing as well here. Uh, that's usually the trajectory of the, of the recessions. You know, the housing construction goes first, and they raise rates, uh, and then tech follows suit, and then it spills over to manufacturing, and then it spills over to the service sector. Uh, so we're about halfway into this uh, whole uh, trajectory here. Uh, but, you know, full-time jobs, uh, these aren't full-time jobs. And this 3.4% unemployment rate only measures full-time jobs. It doesn't measure all the jobs in uh, uh, part-time temp gig work. And by the way, the government does not measure people, employment, with its unemployment statistic. No, it's not an unemployment statistic. It's a job statistic. And you can create jobs and not really put more people back to work. In other words, if most of the jobs you're creating are part-time jobs, people taking on second and third jobs and gig jobs, well, that doesn't create anything in terms of new jobs. That just means people are working more part-time jobs. There's more jobs being created, but they're not quality jobs. They're part-time temp, uh, low-paid, no-benefit jobs often. Then there's another problem with the job statistics, and that's called new business development. Uh, in, in other words, these job numbers are a statistic. A statistic means you take the actual data, the raw data, and you do a uh, uh, mathematical manipulation of it. You know, it might be a seasonality adjustment or whatever. And this is a new business adjustment. It means that they take data from six to nine months ago about new jobs being created, and they add it to the jobs created, restored here, uh, in, in the present period. So it's not really an indication of how many jobs are creating now. It's an indication of partly of jobs that were created six, nine months ago when the economy was reopening, right? Biden brags about all the new businesses created. Uh, well, you know, a lot of them were destroyed during COVID here. So uh, obviously you're going to have more job creation when the economy reopens, especially from people, you know, who are professionals who get laid off uh, or they can't go back to work for whatever reason. They hang out a shingle and they say, oh, my, I'm a consultant or they started a little job, you know, uh, and uh, of course I'm employed now. Uh, well, they're really not. Uh, so. Or they go into gig work, right? Or into two or three uh, jobs, uh, DoorDash kind of stuff. Okay, so, uh, you know, new business development um, is a misrepresentation of jobs in the current period. Uh, you can't take new business jobs created six, nine months ago and an assumption of how many employed, uh, new employed or associated with those new jobs nine months ago, and add it to the present. 
that, that's simply not a good methodology. But they do that. They do that. So if you get a big boost in job opening six or nine months ago, it's going to have an effect on current monthly job creation. Uh, especially if you assume um, job losses uh, are just uh, uh, a long-term average. See, they don't. They, when they talk about new business jobs created, uh, it's a net figure: new businesses created minus businesses that went out of businesses, exited. Right. The problem is while you get data for new businesses created because they got a file with the with with their state, you know, it's a business statement, uh, their state you know, government. Uh, so there is actual data for that. There's no data for people and businesses exiting, going out of business. But they just assume it's a, a low long-term average. So you get this big net job, new business development job creation out of the whole process. And then you, you know, you bring it forward six to nine months and you add it to the actual numbers that you get from your survey of, uh, of businesses the government gets. And, and then you have, voila, you get all this job creation, especially if it's a lot of part-time jobs, okay? Uh, so, you know, I'm very skeptical. Uh, unemployment number, just full-time uh, jobs, uh, new business development assumptions here, uh, pumping up the numbers, seasonality pumping up the numbers. And uh, then you get a figure uh, based upon what's called um, a JOLT, a Job Reopening Labor Turnover. Right? JOLT, that's an acronym, right? And you hear a lot about this. Oh, there's 11 million jobs out there and only 6 million unemployed. So there's two jobs uh, awaiting every unemployed person. Why don't they just take it? Well, first of all, uh, you know, the jobs uh, openings uh, uh, may be uh, mostly in tech on the two coasts. And if you're living in Kansas City, you know, you don't have access to what you want to get a pick up and move to Boston, right? Or California. Uh, well, that's not going to happen. There's a mismatch uh, between the number of jobs and where people are unemployed, first of all. Uh, secondly, this uh, uh, 6 million unemployed uh, is just full-time jobs, full-time unemployment, rather. Uh, so that number is too low. It should probably be around 8, 9 million compared to 11 million openings. And 11 million openings are not accurate either. Uh, because as I talked about last week, I think uh, companies have left uh, job opening. Uh, they posted openings that they don't intend to fill. You know, a lot of industries purposely are running at 70 percent uh, uh, labor force here to save on wages uh, and uh, cost and boost their profits from cost reduction, wage reduction. Uh, so you have a lot of companies who are posting, opening, that don't intend to fill those 11 million. Uh, and then they, a lot of them post uh, intending to fill internally. They're not going to hire a new person. Uh, they're going to, you know, they post for legal reasons. Uh, and uh, all the intent is that they're going to hire uh, people from promotion internally anyway. Uh, there are a lot of technical uh, methods uh, here that uh, I think lead to this 11 million as a gross overestimation of uh, job reopenings. Uh, uh, Although there are shortages, of course, in in the labor market here, not enough uh, um, big rig truck drivers going on, not enough uh, people on the railroad, skilled, uh, you know, skilled and semi-skilled, it's hard to fill. Uh, So there's some of that, too. Uh, going on, but you know his claim that he created 12 million jobs, unemployment is 3.4 percent. When you look below the covers, you know there's there's not some uh, 12 million jobs. Uh, it's far less, and it's mostly a reopening of the economy anyway. And these three bills that he touts here, and you know the investment subsidy bills, uh, haven't taken effect yet. So he hasn't done anything to create 12 million jobs. Okay. Uh, okay, another theme that I caught from uh, his speech was, uh, uh, again, this uh, right-wing threat to democracy, right? And they love that issue because they keep pounding it, uh, you know, with the voting public against uh, the Republicans. But what has really been done 
about January 6th. I don't see anything that's really been done except some low-level crazy guys, you know, that were dumb enough uh, to uh, break into the Capitol and take pictures of themselves. I mean, uh, if this is an insurrection, uh, I mean, these were crazy. Uh, I mean, naive, crazy, stupid. A- anyway, you know, the, some of them got uh, got tagged, right? And they're going to jail. Uh, but uh, there's no indictment against Trump. And uh, more importantly, what about all the people in Congress, the Republicans that, uh, uh, you know, under the covers were going along with Trump, you know, or even some of the Capitol Police, you know, who were complicit in all this, letting people in and so forth, right? Um, nothing's happened with that. It's all political theater, you see. It's, it's mostly about keeping that issue uh, going uh, for election purposes. You know? They're not going to really uh, send anybody who is uh, uh, really involved in organizing it and politically supporting it at the top. Uh, no one's going to get do anything about that. Well, what they did pass, of course, was the Electoral Count Act, you know, so that uh, the Republicans uh, couldn't uh, get uh, someone like uh, Vice President Pence uh, uh, to simply stop the whole count, right? Uh, so, you know, that's about all that's really been done about the threat to democracy. Right? But Biden acts as if it's all over. Now, there's there's worse to come, folks, believe me. Uh and then the third theme he talks about, oh, Democrats and Republicans are coming together, right? Uh, yeah, he met with uh, McCarthy here. And what was that all about? Well, that was to kick off the negotiations about the debt ceiling, which is really not about the debt ceiling. It's really about austerity. How are they and where are they going to cut social spending? in order to allow them to spend more on war yeah, we're, or reduce the, quote, $1.3 trillion, uh, uh, annual deficit. You know, the national debt is up to $31.5 trillion. We'll talk about that. Uh, but this is austerity being kicked off. Austerity meaning cutting social programs. And, you know, they're doing it... Uh, Probably uh, Biden and McCarthy met and talked about major parameters. Then they'll give it to their uh, lieutenants to actually hammer it out, you know, where they're going to cut. Uh, and they're going to cut. The question is only where. Well, you're talking about Social Security, for example. Uh, oh, publicly they say, oh, we're not going to cut Social Security. And, you know, Biden comes out and is... State of the Union here, he gets some strong indications, you know, he tax. I mean, that's for the public. Uh, I'll tell you what's going to happen. They're going to raise the uh, retirement age, no doubt. You know, 69, 70, they'll probably backload it here. (laughs) You know, so after the 20, starting after the 2024 election, but they want to raise it to 70, and they will. And they'll go, come around and they'll say, we saved Social Security. We didn't cut it. We saved it. Right? And they'll fulfill their, their promise not to cut it. They'll say it's the savings. But I'm telling you, you know, if you were eligible to retire and collect at 67, uh, now it's going to be 69, 70, whatever. The, the oldest age of any government retirement uh, program in the world. All, all these other countries are like 62, 63, 64. Not the United States. Oh, we have such great, uh, uh, you know, medical care here and uh, the longest longevity uh, in the world. No, no. Uh, our average longevity is going down. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we need to reduce retirement age under Social Security, not increase it. Okay, but that's that's coming, right? Oh, and he talks about rebuilding the backbone of America from the bottom up, the soul of the nation. Right? 800,000 manufacturing jobs created. No, no, no. Reopened. Reopened. He talked about inflation. Oh, gas prices are down a $1.50 a gallon from their peak last year. 
and they're going back up. Yeah. As I've been talking and, you know, on Twitter and so forth, predicting uh, they're going to be a dollar gallon more here before the spring is over. Will you watch? One reason is, uh, you know, the oil companies always uh, find a way to uh, have a refinery fire or maintenance, you know, in April and May. Cut the supply, raise the gasoline prices at the pump, right? Uh, They're going to do that again uh, because uh, the global price of oil, crude oil, is going up already. You know, it's roughly about $80 a barrel, depending, you know, whether it's uh, Texas or Norway, uh, about $80. But it's going to $100 a, a barrel, okay? Uh, why? Uh, well, the Russians are cutting uh, their oil uh, deliveries to uh, to Europe. Uh, and uh, OPEC will follow, I'm sure. Uh, they're going to keep that price up because of the sanctions, because of the sanctions. Uh, so you take these global supply issues. And by the way, uh, already uh, financial speculators who speculate on the price of oil in global, global oil futures markets, they play a role in the global price, too, are driving the price up already. It's like $85 a barrel now, uh, and it's going to go to $100 a barrel. And you're going to see that transmitted at the pump very quickly, very quickly, because even before the shortages hit, they're raising their prices, you see. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's going up again. Dollar fifty down, well, you know, dollar fifty back up. <laughs> yeah. What what accomplishment is that? Uh, he could have put uh, a windfall profit tax on these oil companies last year, but he didn't. And what happened because he didn't? The oil companies are all $50 billion record profits last year. Exxon, 50-some billion. Chevron, 50-some billion. Profits, record. Uh, even, uh, you know, British Petroleum, 30-some billion. Poor Brits, you know, they don't, they got a hard time. <laughs> you know, uh, the French company Total Energies, uh, 30-some billion. Yeah, Okay. You know, the oil companies globally, maybe $500 billion, who knows, you know, some hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of windfall profits because of price gouging last year. And that's going to continue, you see. It went down as they lowered their gas prices, gasoline prices, and switched to production of home heating oil and diesel and so forth in the winter. That jacked up utility prices, you see. So they played this game in the summer. They price gouges on gasoline at the pump. And in the winter, uh, they price gouges on other oil products here. And uh, they end up with $50 billion profits. And what are they doing with the $50 billion? Exxon, Chevron each, and others. I don't have all the data, but I know they reported that. Well, they're giving ten, twenty, thirty billion dollars in stock buybacks and dividend payouts to the shareholders. They've announced that too. In other words, this is a massive redistribution of income from the general population, particularly the middle and working class in this country, with price hikes last year, uh, redistributed to shareholders by these companies in the form of stock buybacks and dividend payments. Uh, so, redistribution of income, folks, that's all that this, this is. Oh, but gas prices went down. He's taking credit for $1.50 a gallon last year. I wonder if he'll take credit for the hike uh, in his next State of the Union presentation. And then he talked about uh, 10 million new businesses in the past two years. Well, reopening after all the destruction of businesses during COVID. Yeah, new startups, they reopening. Of businesses, and most of that last year, as I talked about. Uh, so uh, he's taking credit for that two million businesses that reopened. It's like unemployment or po- employment, you know, uh, ten million jobs. Oh, I created. Now the economy just reopened after being shut down. And then he talks about the, the Chips and Sciences Act. Uh, this is a big, uh, a big uh, slush fund that is created here, one of these three acts that he passed 
with the Republicans because they love to give money to their business friends. Mm-hmm. He created last year, again, the infrastructure bill, right? the uh, uh, Chips and Science Act that I just referenced, and the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really another subsidy bill uh, to uh, the auto companies and other, other fossil fuel companies, uh, as well as alternative energy companies. Right. Um, he claims uh, that that act uh, has already resulted in $300 billion in committed new investment. Well, we'll see, but I doubt that. Uh, but the CHIP Act is designed to really bring back, to, to offer bribes and lure back tax cuts and so forth for companies, semiconductor companies are located offshore to bring them back to the U.S. and to lure, you know, maybe some Taiwanese companies to the U.S. too, long-term preparation for a conflict with China. You don't want to leave your critical uh, technology uh, over there in Asia <laughs> if, you, if you're looking at a, a conflict sometime around 2030. You know, bring it back home. And uh, you lure them back home. Uh, you lure them back with the... Uh, Big subsidy bill. That's what this is. This is a big subsidy bill for tech, particularly chips, semiconductor, especially, but manufacturing in general. Uh, bring it back to the U.S. And that's where he's claiming it's going to create uh, all these jobs. Okay, so it's going to create 10,000 new jobs. Well, will they be temp and part-time like they're creating now? Hmm? Well, you know, we've lost over 6 million jobs just in the last 20 years in manufacturing uh, because of free trade and uh, subsidy in, uh, investment subsidies uh, allowing uh, companies to replace labor with uh, uh, new robots and so forth, right? We've in manufacturing, we've done this 6 million or 10,000. Wow, that's going to really put a dent in the 6 million jobs we lost. Right? Uh the Infrastructure Act, uh, well, you know, we have like one of the worst infrastructures in, in, in the, the vast economies of the world here. It's falling apart. Uh, and he said that the Infrastructure Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, get this, is going to lower our utility bills. Have you looked at your utility bill lately? especially here in California, any of you from California listening to me, hmm? doubled. They doubled this winter. As I predicted last year, remember I said, oh, the oil companies, energy companies are going to switch from price gouging us on gasoline. They're going to lower that price come winter, uh, but they're going to jack up the price of natural gas and the other energies. And that's exactly what they did. We're paying in California here five six seven hundred dollars a month for gas natural gas to heat our homes natural gas yeah mm. auto tax credit uh, oh they're expanding or continuing the auto tax credit so that the auto companies like tesla can keep their prices up they steal the tax credit you know for electric cars mm. And he says 500,000 charging stations. Oh, pie in the sky. Uh, we've heard that one before for two years now. Okay. Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. I don't see any reduction in my energy bills. And by the way, these energy bills uh, spill over into price increases uh, for food, for processed food and for, uh, you know, uh, uh, other meat packing and stuff like that. <clears throat> Eggs, chickens, prices still going through the roof here. You know? And he says, uh, oh, inflation has come down. Well, it's come down a little. No doubt about that. As people uh, spend less or spend more on credit. Yeah, the credit card... Uh, uh, spending in the last half of last year is, is, is accelerated. It's twice what it was pre-COVID. People are using their credit cards. Well, what happened to all this big savings uh, 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 surge that they had during COVID? You know, uh, they're finally admitting that's disappearing. 
uh, well, it disappeared for a lot of people much more quickly than they're admitting. So they were spending on the, using their credit cards. Uh, and as I mentioned before on this show, one in 10 people now survey shows are using the credit cards to pay their rent and their mortgage. One in 10. That's the only thing keeping consumer spending from, from uh, really contracting here, the credit card-based spending. It's not wages, that's for sure. Wages, real wages have slowed dramatically here over the course of last year. And so as the economy, as I talked about on, on the show, I talked about GDP. If you measure GDP, uh, the growth of the economy from December uh, 21 to December 22, it barely grew 1%. 1% growth. In 21, it was 5.4. 22, 1% growth. Yeah. After a stimulus of 3 to $4 trillion during COVID, we get a 1% growth rate and talk of recession further here this year, even less. Well, the Federal Reserve say in a half of 1% growth in 20. We go from a 1% to a half percent growth in 2023 after we spend 3 to $4 trillion. Something's wrong. Yeah, something's wrong. And that's not counting the Federal Reserve $4 trillion that they spent propping up banks and companies that didn't need it. That was another big freebie. Oh, and then they, he talked about, uh, uh, oh, uh, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act um, uh, insulin for Medicare for people over 65. That, that was good. I got to admit it, you know, uh, $35 a month. What do we got, 10 million, 20 million people who are diabetic in this country? We're paying like $500 a month for insulin? I mean, that's as bad as the baby formula fiasco. Remember that? That's still going on, by the way. Yeah. We can't provide baby formula for this country? We can't provide insulin for this country? I mean, two indictments about, uh, you know, the, the, the health uh, situation in this in this country. Oh, and Medicare had the right to negotiate drugs. That was good too. Okay, the insulin thirty five dollars for older folks on Medicare. But what about the rest? The millions of others who aren't sixty five that need are they still paying five hundred dollars a month? You betcha. They're getting price gouged by the pharma companies five hundred dollars a month for insulin life life. Saving insulin, $500 a month on average. Yeah. And they couldn't get that passed for everybody. Well, you know, at least the grandma and grandpa got, got a freebie. Because you know, that's a big voting block, you see. That's, that's what they're going to claim here uh, next election. Democrats throw a few crumbs at you just, just to keep you thinking that they're better than the Republicans. Oh, and then he talks about taxes, taxes, right? And he cited corporate tax evaders. Yeah, there's a lot of them. 55 big corporations paid no taxes at all. And then he claims, oh, I got past the 15% minimum corporate tax measure. Well, that existed, the 15% minimum corporate tax, and a 15% minimum on wealthy individuals, uh, before Trump came and passed his $4 trillion tax cut, he eliminated that in 2018. Well, they restored the 15% corporate tax here. But you know what? You know how much, what's the average that corporate corporations pay tax rate for corporations? 9.8%. Yeah. So they're already below 15. Yeah. Are they going to pay 15? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, big corporations with foreign subsidies have ways of dealing with this. They they just change their internal pricing so they uh, calculate their profits offshore. And uh, this 15% does not apply to offshore profits. They can avoid that easily. Yeah, you know, the $4 trillion Trump tax cut, half of that... Uh, was was enjoyed uh, by multinational corporations offshore 
Yeah, they eliminated the territory tax, territory tax, and uh, they got a two trillion dollar uh, tax windfall. Multinational corporations. Uh, they didn't report that, by the way, in Trump's uh, tax uh, estimate of the cost of that. He said it was only one and a half trillion dollars tax cut in 2018. Oh, that was based upon assumption of three and a half percent GDP growth for ten years. That would bring in more taxes, which, of course, did not happen. We went right into COVID shutdowns. So that was phony. Uh, you're not going to see any any tax justice here, you know? Not at all. Uh, corporations are con- going to continue to, to enjoy uh, nirvana when it comes to uh, uh, their tax, tax bills. Uh, Neither Democrats or Republicans want to raise taxes uh, on corporations and businesses and the wealthy, and they're not going to. By the way, you know, they just announced, the IRS just announced uh, a a new rule uh, encouraging um, companies and their management uh, to properly report Weight person's uh, tips, tips, right? Tipped workers, you know what they get in minimum wage? Two dollars thirty-five cents an hour. They don't even they don't even get the seven twenty-five an hour federal minimum wage. They get two dollars thirty-five uh, on the assumption that they're going to um, make it up minimum wage in tips. Right? Uh, now you know, of course, uh, there is a lot of uh, underreporting of tips. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, just the small businesses underreport in general. You know, any cash payment, they just slip it under the cash register. They don't uh, record it. <laughs> you know, uh, construction, the same thing goes on. A lot of stuff, uh, cash under the table. No, a lot of businesses do that. Uh, you know, and, and white persons do that, too. Uh, they certainly can't afford to pay their taxes. Uh, well, now with this new rule... You know, the word is, uh, okay, employers, uh, you tell us what their tips actually are, and uh, we'll check it against people who underreport their tips. Yeah. So while they don't put any screws to a big corporation's tax avoidance, now they're going to go after white persons and uh, tighten the tax screws on them. Uh, and they're not going to audit every everybody you know, every waiter in the country, they're not going to do that. Uh, but there's uh, some test cases, you know, they'll publicize it. And the employers will, uh, will will do the implementation for them, you see. Okay, so um, that's, that's the picture here, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, taxation. You know, don't, don't get your hopes up. This is all just uh, uh, dog and pony show talk. Here, when it comes to taxes on the rich uh, and corporations, uh, they're going to continue to enjoy these big windfalls, which leads us, by the way, to the national debt issue. National debt, $31.5 trillion. You know what it was 20 years ago? 2001? $4 trillion. Now it's $31.5 trillion. Why? Well, 60% of the deficits that accumulate into the national debt, 60% are due to tax shortfalls. Taxation revenue is the single largest cause of deficits. It's not spending. It's taxation. And what can we say about taxation? Well, we've been talking about it. Hmm. Since 2001, both these political parties collectively have given $15 trillion in tax cuts, 80% of which go to corporations, businesses, and the rich. $15 trillion. Yeah. Well, that's half of the deficit, isn't it? Half the national debt, isn't it? Yeah. And what's the other big cause? War spending. 
an estimate of war spending before Ukraine, seven trillion dollars. Seven trillion dollars we pissed away on wars in the Middle East. Seven trillion dollars. What a waste. Okay, so that's twenty-two trillion dollars of the thirty-one trillion. Amazing, isn't it? You just look at those two. Well, are they talking about anything to do with uh, you know, raising, uh, reversing these big windfall taxes for corporations and the rich, or reducing war spending? No, just the opposite. They're doing just the opposite. Last year, we spent 111 billion dollars in aid to Ukraine. This year, I predict it's going to be even more. Why? Because this war is going to intensify here very quickly in Ukraine, very quickly. It's going to be a a qualitatively different kind of conflict because both sides cannot back down now. You know, Trump said that, uh, uh, well, Biden, I mean, uh, Putin's already lost Ukraine. Well, that doesn't sound like he wants to negotiate. Right? And uh, French President Macron said uh, uh, Putin will not survive this this crisis. Well, that sounds to me like, uh, you know, the U.S. and its uh, uh, NATO allies have really dug in, and they don't want to negotiate anything. No. And uh, what about the Russians? They can't negotiate anything because they've declared these these regions that they've taken already as part of Russia. This thing's not going to end soon. And it's going to be even a bloodier bath here very soon. Um, Either next week or the week after, I'm going to dedicate this show to a discussion of what's happened over the past year. Uh, in the Ukraine war. What's happened with the sanctions? What's happened militarily on both sides? Uh, uh, What's happened politically on both sides? And where is this thing going? Okay, a summary. Uh, And of course, I I wrote uh, at the beginning of the war here an article on my blog, jacklathis.com, called uh, 10 Reasons Why the U.S. May Want Russia to Invade Ukraine. And then a few follow-on pieces there in February, March of last year. Uh, And I will follow that up uh, with a a year-later assessment of uh, the special military operation, SMO, as the Russians call it. Uh, You know, its initial successes, its initial uh, defeats or setbacks, uh, and uh, the retrenchment in the east, and then they lost some territory, and now uh, soon. Soon, the key battle going on in in the Ukraine um, in this region and town called Bakhmut, right, um, which is the key uh, to that whole uh, uh, Donetsk region, because uh, uh, clearly the Ukrainians, uh, Zelensky and others, had uh, really uh, uh, you know, defended, uh, built up the defenses and made that uh, a, it's a key line of Ukrainian defense when it falls. Uh, you may see a collapse all along that line uh, in eastern Ukraine, especially if the nearest, the nearby town, which is really the center key called Kramatorsk, uh, really uh, gets surrounded. Uh, then the whole thing's going to change uh, very quickly. Uh, but both sides are, are preparing for uh, new offensives, and it's going to be even bloodier and riskier conflict. Uh, than it was last year. And that means that the U.S. is going to spend more money, throw more money at it. You know, the Pentagon budget's already been raised to $858 billion. Yeah, $858 billion just to the Pentagon. That doesn't include other war defense-related spending. Uh, you know, the budget $1.7 trillion of the government here, over a trillion dollars of it is for war. Over a trillion at least, you know, Pentagon is only the core of that war spending. Uh, for example, the U.S. military, uh, its cost for fuel comes out of the Energy Department. Then you got Weapons Development and Atomic Energy uh, uh, Department. Well, it's not a department, but it's a sector, right? You got veterans' benefits uh, going up. Um, you know, you got other areas, uh, NSA and CIA have their own mercenary armies that they spend for. Then there's Homeland Security, $50 billion plus. 
uh, every every year. Uh, and so you got over a trillion dollars of the one point seven trillion dollars U.S. budget is for war and defense. That's why you got a thirty-one trillion dollar deficit uh, on your national debt. Well, it's not just uh, the defense spending; that's a big part of it. As I said, seven trillion dollars is rising. Uh, it's the lack of tax cuts, at the, uh, t- taxes at the same time. All these tax cuts. Together, the tax cuts and the war spending uh, is, you know, it, that's the deficit. That's the national debt, really, when you talk about it. It's not spending for education and all these other things, right? Well, you know, when you have these crises like 2008 and nine, they throw some money at it to keep it from, uh, you know, becoming a, a total chaos. Uh, and that adds to the debt. Uh, and then when you shut down COVID, yeah, they did throw some programs at it, you know, maybe a trillion, two trillion, three trillion, maybe depends on how you measure it. Uh, and that adds to it. But the big bulk of the national debt, $31.5 trillion, is uh, war spending for 20 years and tax cutting for 20 years. But they're not going to talk about doing anything about either of those two things. No, they're going to talk about they... McCarthy and Biden, well, Pelosi's out of it now. Well, she's really pulling strings behind uh, Jeffries. Uh, And then uh, Schumer in the Senate with their buddies, McConnell and McCarthy. You know, they're all in on this war defense spending thing. Um, But they're not going to do anything about the real causes for the national debt. Uh, they'll they'll attack uh, social spending programs and make it look like they're really doing something when they're really not doing very much and don't intend to do very much. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, back back to uh, back to the the State of the Union speech here. You know, uh, bragged about Social Security. You know, if anyone tries to cut Social Security, right? Or Medicare, I'll stop them. I'll veto it. I'm not allowing them to take away anything. Now, well, as I said, they will claim they're saving it. Takeaways will be saving it by raising the retirement age. And it won't affect people who are on it now. So, you know, they figure, okay, you know, it won't, won't impact our vote support from uh, people over 65, right? And he says, we're going to extend the Medicare trust fund by at least two decades. Well, how's he going to do that without raising the payroll tax for Medicare? Will he uh, raise it on the, on the rich? Nope. The same thing. You know, Social Security can, can be uh, assured financially for 75 years, all they got to do is raise the cap. What's the cap? Well, the cap is, uh, you know, uh, when you reach, I think, $146,000, uh, you don't pay. You don't pay any more Social Security payroll tax. The rich don't pay. It's everybody making less than that that pay for the whole year for Social Security. Now, oh, you, you, you could expand Social Security. You could lower the retirement age, maybe, you know, to 62, like in France, right? Uh, you could lower it by simply eliminating the cap. And what are we talking about? What was it one and a half percent or something like that? 1.4 percent of your income pays for Medicare. Now, just lower, you know, re- remove the cap for the rich. And making them pay 1.4 percent uh, on all their earned income, and we're not even talking about taxing unearned income like stock buybacks and dividends, which they should should be all income. My God, if you did that, you could uh, pay for Medicare and everything. You'd be all free in this country. Just look, remove the cap and and apply the payroll. You know, the 1.4%, 1.45%, I think it is, uh, to all income, not just wages. Voila. That's it. Everything's solved. Everybody gets Medicare. 
everybody gets to retire at 62. Yeah. Simple. Simple. Medicare Social Security isn't broke. All they got to do is fund it appropriately, make everybody pay their share. They talk about everyone should pay their share in taxes, right? <coughs> so why don't we let people uh, uh, off the hook in the payroll tax once they reach $146,000 a year, whatever it is? <coughs> it doesn't make sense. Well, it does make sense from a class perspective, right? All right. <clears throat> So, uh, you know, he brags in his uh, speech here, he's going to protect the uh, Medicare trust fund, right? He's going to extend the trust fund uh, for at least two decades. Well, how are you going to do that, Joe? You didn't really say, did you, right? You know, with the House and Republican hands, he can promise anything. <laughs> and, he, and he knows it's not going to happen, right? So they can really let loose with... Uh, uh, pie in the sky. They can't when they have both houses of Congress here under control, right? Okay, so uh, you know that that's pretty much uh, my uh, my assessment. Uh, you know, there was uh, some talk about how the uh, airlines are gouging us and screwing us and scheduling. That's true, right? Uh, you talk about uh, cutting credit card late fees. Uh, to $8, some current $30, late fees, right? Well, what about interest? Did you know in the 1970s we had a law that said that credit cards could not charge more than 7% interest? You know, now they charge you at 25 30%. So, okay, you know, you're going to reduce the late fee to $8. But what about the interest? 25 30% interest? Yeah. Okay, so uh, that that's my take pretty much on, uh, you know, the political marketing, political marketing that these uh, State of the Union speeches uh, pretty much. Oh, I forgot. I forgot the PRO Act, uh, the Labor PRO Act, right? Uh, like the former union, right? He talks about that, too. He knows damn well that doesn't, that's not even going to get out of committee. And let's restore the child tax credit. Well, he knows that's not going to get through the Republicans either, right? Uh, he talks about assistance to households for, for uh, elderly dependents. In other words, all this stuff was in the Build Back Better bill, right, that uh, Sanders had proposed. It was there, and he shot it down. He and Pelosi, Biden and Pelosi, got together and put the deep six to the Build Back Better bill in November 21. And immediately then thereafter, they passed these three corporate subsidy investment bills. You see, they took the money from Build Back Better and gave it to businesses. And yet he keeps raising this stuff, right, that he wants to do. Well, he knows Build Back Better's dead. He shot it, you know. He shot it in the head himself. And now he's talking about, oh, we want to do this stuff. He knows damn well none of this stuff is going to get done now. But, you know, you can make all the promises in the world in these state of the union, make it look good, right? Restore child care credit. Yeah, that's not going to happen either. Anyway, that's my take here uh, on, uh, you know, the state of the union presentation, particularly the economic side. You know, there is some other stuff about the um, police reform, which is just no chance in hell either, right? Uh, but that's that's my uh, my take. Uh, you're not going to see much much change here because this is all political theater, right? Filled with uh, misrepresentation of facts uh, about the proposals uh, and. Uh, what he did say was, uh, you know, we're we're going after China and we're going after Russia. Yeah, more war. Okay. Well, that's my take on POTUS, President of the United States, on his so-to State of the Union 
speech here this past week. Okay, next week, as I said, uh, we're going to uh, uh, look at the Ukraine situation. Probably take uh, uh, two two shows, maybe. Uh, but we're going to go into depth on that one and, uh, you know, peel back the onion and what's really going on. What's going to be coming? Because it's not very pretty. Okay, I'm out of here.